0: I'm sure most of us have had the experience with some small child, whether our own or somebody else's, where they have something that they're fixated on and busy with, and and you actually want to give them something better or have them come do something they'll enjoy more, but they are so focused on what they have, and you're taking it away from them, all they can do is cry and scream. And you know... You are going to be so much happier with what I want for you, I have for you, but they just can't see past that. And they just cry and are brokenhearted until eventually they find what you had for them and then they're happy. Do you think adults could ever do that? <laughs> I think we can, can't we? I think it's a perspective that Peter wants us to understand. We began last week working through First Peter. And it was a time when Christians were just beginning to no longer be popular, no longer be looked up to as this new religion. But Christians were finally reaching the point in the early 60s where people were looking down on them. It was no longer popular to be a Christian. And they had to wrestle with how do we handle this? What do we do? How do we keep perspective? And that really is a lot of what Peter writes in 1 Peter that we're going to be looking at this summer. Last week we looked at his word to us as Christians saying, you need to understand who you are. However the world may respond to you, however the world may look at you, never forget who you are. Well, he continues on in the section we want to look at today. And Now he wants to look at what you have. And I think there's an important reminder there from Peter before we look at the specifics of what he wants to give us. Because in a time of difficulty, it's so natural to focus on what's being taken away from us. What we don't have. What we've lost. We just are drawn to that. The the little child who sees something taken away from them. They're focused on that. Even though what they have or what's coming may be so much better. And I think that's what Peter wants them to understand. Don't spend your time focusing on what you've lost. Focus on what you still have. And that's what he wants to remind them. If you want to turn over with me, we want to begin in 1 Peter 1. And um, I want to read verse 3, but keep your finger there. We're actually going to go all the way through, I think it's verse 11 today. But Peter begins there with the first thing we have. He's going to talk about two things that we have, but he begins with the first thing in verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So the first thing that Peter has said that we have is that we have this new birth and it is this new birth that that isn't going to be taken away from us we have been given by God through Jesus a new beginning a fresh start we've looked at this new birth in the last few months but the reality is that whatever our past may be whatever our mistakes through the blood of Christ through grace God is willing to let us become a new person. Not held back by past mistakes. Not still paying for that. But He is willing to adopt us. That we can become a son or daughter of God Himself. With all of the privileges that go with that. The blessings that go with that. With Jesus as our not only Savior, but our older brother. We are co-heirs with Him we have all of this and no one can take it from us that's something we have whatever else we may feel like we're losing we're not losing that new birth and that new birth is not only a a new status it is truly a different kind of life we are given a, a new perspective we're given new attitudes new ways of handling life how we respond to situations all of that god wants to give us and nobody can take that away from us perhaps one of the greatest gifts of the new birth is the promise that god himself comes to live within us to reside in us so that wherever we are wherever we're facing whatever we're facing we're not alone God Himself, the Spirit of God, is inside us to be with us. And all of this is ours through Jesus. It is a living hope. It's not going to go away. It's not going to end. It is alive and continuing. This new birth that we can experience wherever we are and whatever we face. That's the first thing we have. The second thing we have is in verses 4 and 5. We have an inheritance. We are born into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. The second thing Peter wants us to understand is that people can take a lot of things from us. We see Christians who are persecuted lose their houses, lose their jobs, lose their income, lose the ability to go to college. So many things can be taken away from us as Christians. And some of those we can't stop. But the news that Peter wants us to see is that but nobody can take your inheritance from you. Nobody can take that from you. He wants us to keep things in perspective. We may lose some things, but there's a quote Who would not give up that which they cannot keep in order to gain that which they cannot lose? Who would not be willing to give up that which they cannot keep in order to gain that which they cannot lose? The point of Peter is there's all kinds of things that can be taken from us. And we're not facing that kind of persecution. I don't want to begin to say that. But we begin to see things. We're losing this, we're losing this. And in persecution, we might lose a house or or, 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 or our money or whatever. But the truth is, all of that stuff is temporary. Even if we kept it, we're not going to have it once we die. It's all temporary. But what Peter wants us to see is we have an inheritance that is not temporary. And that inheritance, which is most important, which lasts forever, that inheritance cannot be taken from us. It is protected by God for us. We have been adopted by God. We are a sister or brother of Jesus we will live with him with God in a perfect place so wonderful that humans struggle to even describe this place where we will live with God forever and as we live with God forever in this perfect place we will not have any more physical pain the imperfections the flaws that we struggle with and are frustrated by are gone And the imperfect people around me won't be there. We will all be perfected. And the pain will be gone and the tears will be gone. And all of that will go on forever. And no one can take that from us because God is keeping it for us. No government can take it away. No legislature can pass a law that says we can't have that. No social media campaign No matter how we may be pictured in TV or movies, no one can take this away from us because God is keeping it for us. Now that's a perspective we must work to keep. And I think that's part of why Peter wants to remind us of it. Because our nature is to focus on today and now and what we may lose or not have. And we forget about that which we do have. Uh, All analogies break down, but I thought of this one. Let's say I'm going to give you a hundred days at Disney World. A hundred days at Disney World. And I want you to know in advance, one of those hundred days, it is just going to pour. I mean, it is going to be a deluge. You don't want to be out, you will be drenched in under a minute. Now, if you're down at Disney World and you're about 30 days into it, and that day hits, and you're dripping wet, how bad is it going to be? I think for the most part you're going to say, oh, wow, can't wait for tomorrow because it's over now. All the rest are going to be perfect. Let's just get through this. A hundred days at Disney World is nothing compared to the inheritance that awaits us. Nothing. It is a line that does not end. And whatever we face on a given day, whatever we may have lost, is one little microscopic dot that makes up this line that lasts forever. And that's what Peter wants to remind us. Don't obsess, don't spend all your time focusing on that one little dot you've lost. And I think we need to hear that. Can we be candid as American Christians today? Because a lot of our conversation is about what we've lost. And that's not that that shouldn't concern us, but we must never let that rob us of our joy and our peace and our hope. Because whatever we've lost, there is a whole line that will never end that we haven't lost. And we're not going to lose it. It doesn't matter about any election or any law or any legislature or any anything. Anything. Because God is preserving this inheritance for us. And it is ours if we have Jesus Christ. And that is what awaits us. This inheritance is eternal. And it puts difficult times back in perspective. And you need to understand it's not just we who face this, so did Jesus. Turn over to Hebrews. Jesus faced this same perspective issue what we lose and what we gain i want to be in hebrews 12 i want to begin the second half of verse one the writer of hebrews challenges us let us run with perseverance the race marked out before us now how do we do that fixing our eyes on jesus the pioneer and perfecter of faith For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. Can I put in the word laughing? Laughing at the shame? And sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Fortunately for us, we have a Savior who is also an example who had to give up some things, who lost some things, who went through really bad times, even to the point of dying on a cross. But he kept it in perspective. And in light of what he was having, in light of what was coming, he could laugh at the shame of the cross. Because he knew in a day he would be seated at the right hand of God. Peter says, please understand, we as christians have that same inheritance and so don't focus on what you've lost focus on what cannot be taken from you now peter goes on to talk about what we face the the suffering that we face and and why god might allow this to happen so it's important to hear that as well let's go back to verses 6 and 7 of first peter 1 And in all this you greatly rejoice. So he's referring back to who we are and what we have. In all that we rejoice, although now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Having that different perspective can bring us joy and hope. But part of what we also have to come to understand is, why are we facing this opposition? We ask that today. The Christians in the first century ask that. Where is God in all this? Why is he allowing all of this? Peter says you have to understand that part of why God would allow this is because he knows facing that opposition, facing difficult times, in fact, tests our faith. And it's not just a testing like an ACT test, you pass or fail. It is a testing in the sense of I'm going to push you so that you're going to go to your limits so that you grow. Faith is a muscle not a physical muscle but a spiritual muscle and we've learned all kinds of things about mus- muscles If I can say it muscles that aren't used what do they do they atrophy so if I'm never pushed to use my faith my spiritual muscle gets fla- flappy but if I use the muscle if I exercise muscles they actually get stronger now they may get sore in the process But trainers tell you that that's the muscles tearing so they grow back and they're actually stronger. And so you want some soreness. Not because it's fun or feels good, but because it actually makes your muscles stronger. So you can lift more, run faster, do more on the athletic field next week. Well, the truth is, numerous writers in Scripture say faith is the same way. And God knows that. And so sometimes when God lets opposition come into our lives, tough things, it's not because he doesn't like us. In fact, it's because he does like us. And he says, I know your faith will only get stronger if I allow some bad things coming into your life so you're stretched. So you learn you don't have all the answers. So you learn you have to come to me and depend on me. So you learn that some of this stuff in life that you think is so important doesn't matter and you find out what really is important. All of these lessons only come when life gets tough. And so because I really love you, I will let some of this tough stuff come into your life. Not because I like to see you suffer, but because I like to see you grow. I like to see you be stronger. I like to see you become more. I like to see you closer to me. And for all of those reasons, I am going to let opposition come into your life. Sometimes such tough opposition, you're going to cry and doubt that I care about you. But I want you to know, I do care. And that's why I allow this. James understood this. Turn over to James 1. This is probably the classic passage on why God would allow suffering in our lives. James gets it. He goes so far as to say, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now, until you understand the principle, that sounds like insanity. But James has understood this principle. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Perseverance perseverance let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything and that's what peter was trying to communicate to his uh, the people he was writing to i'm sorry you're facing trials of many kinds and i'm sorry some of those trials are painful i know they are peter had been beaten peter had been flogged peter had been thrown in prison he knew it wasn't easy but what he did know is that God would use this for good in them to deepen their faith strengthen that spiritual muscle that's what James is writing about so that you can be solid whatever comes you can hold on and be just fine because God has built up that faith muscle the difference in all this is Jesus And that's why Peter goes into praise of Him. I want to read the second part of verse 7 through verse 9 this time. All of this that is going to happen to us may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And even though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and are filled with an inexpressible And glorious joy. For you are receiving now the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I want you to notice something in these verses. There's been a change in the New Testament. In the Gospels, in the book of Acts, we're listening to people who literally saw Jesus, but those people started to die out. And through missionary work, now we're talking with Christians who are living in other countries who never saw Jesus. Never. They're like us. This man that they believe in, they've only heard about. And that's who Peter is writing to now. Peter had seen Jesus. He'd touched him. He'd had Jesus touch him. All of that. But he knew those kind of people were getting to be scarce. They're dying off. But he says, it doesn't matter. And notice what he draws out of this. We believe and rejoice in Jesus, not as just a historical figure who is dead and gone. He's alive today. And though we may not physically see him, we still experience this living Jesus. Paul uh, Peter knew that. You speak to Christians today who are facing difficult times, and they'll tell you in a heartbeat how Jesus is with them. He says, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Everybody else may be left behind, we may be locked away by ourselves, but there will be somebody with us, and his name is Jesus. For we serve a living Savior who walked out of the grave and is alive today. And it's all about him. And what Peter is trying to point out is, when all this suffering is over, and this new birth is ours, and we are celebrating our inheritance, it's going to be about one person. It's going to be about Jesus. And what he did for us, and how he was with us through the tough times, and how he never left us, I I remember that song of the, I don't know, 80s, 90s. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's just something about that name. No, there's really nothing about the name. It's the same name as Joshua. It's been around for thousands of years. There's something about the person named Jesus. What he did and who he is and what he is still doing today. That he will never leave us. And that's why we want to gather together and say, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's something about you. And what you are still doing for us. Peter says that's who we're going to praise. That's who we're going to be excited about. Because of what he did for us and what he is still doing for us today. But he promised nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Paul had found that out. He'd found it out in prison. He'd found it out in floggings. He'd found it out in the open sea as he was shipwrecked. He had found it out again and again and again. Nothing can come between me and my Jesus. Peter says, that's what I want you to hold on to there's three more verses i wanted to look at because peter honestly says in facing trials you may think you're not very lucky you're wrong you're the luckiest people on earth now read these verses with me 10 10 to 12 concerning this salvation that he's been talking about the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care Even angels long to look into these things. If you got your Bible, find Matthew 1. Split the Old Testament from the New Testament. Go ahead, come on. And hold the Old Testament in your left hand and the New Testament in your right hand. Do you know what Peter says? Everybody in your left hand is jealous of you. Everybody in your left hand, all those prophets, Abraham, Moses, David, Elijah, Elisha, Isaiah, Jeremiah, they're all jealous of you. Because they all knew someday God's going to do something awesome. And he's told me some of what he's going to do. I wish I could be here to see it, but I don't get to. Now you never thought Moses would be jealous of you, do you? But he is. Peter says that, not me. Because what Peter says is, do you realize we are living after Jesus has come? We get to partake. We get to be a part of. We get to enjoy all this good news. This new life. This salvation. That all these people in your left hand would just wished. Oh, could we? Could we be a part of it? Peter says, you're there. You want. You picked the right lottery numbers. You won. You're experiencing everything they looked forward to. You've got it. You think it's life's tough? Look what you've got. Look who you are. Called by God. Look what you have. Put it all in perspective. Are are we facing some trials? Yep. Compared to what other Christians are facing, very little. But it's not as nice as it used to be. But we have to put it back in perspective. It might be one rainy day, but there's a million sunny days coming. And God is making sure through Jesus, nobody can take that from us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the inheritance we have. Thank you for who you've adopted us to become. The new birth that you offer us and that we experience now. But even more for the inheritance that we are waiting for. Satan wants us only to focus on one rainy day. So we'll lose our joy, lose our hope, lose our peace. Please use these words of Peter to help us put things back in perspective so that even the rainiest day will not change our joy in what is ours and what is coming. Thank you. We look forward to that day and all that will come after it. In Jesus' name we offer this prayer. Amen.